0: everyone and welcome to the Round 18 episode for 2019 of Ref's Roundup. It's great to be back in the studio to chat about the weekend's games and what's been happening in the world of refereeing. And a very lovely welcome, as always, to my favourite NRL referee and my favourite husband, Gavin Badger. Hello, Gavin.
1: Hey, Case. Big weekend and, you know, heading into the back end of the season now. We're heading into Round 19, so, you know... teams are looking at you know semi-finals and, and dropping in and out and the comp's pretty open for those last couple of spots so uh, yeah exciting times and, and great times to be involved in rugby league
0: yeah pretty crazy um, how quick the season goes we a lot. We spend so much time in, in pre-season and that seems to go forever and then yeah. uh, the season itself seems to Seems to go so so quickly.
1: Yeah, I wish preseason felt the same.
0: <laughs> um, had a couple of uh, decent games to, to watch over the over the weekend. Um, few similar to the other week where there were some close score lines and then a couple of um, of blowouts. And um, we've got a couple of things in store for the podcast today: listener to questions as usual, special guest interview, and our um, general chat about some some decisions. Um, that happened over the weekend. But a couple of things that we enjoyed seeing was uh, the Manly-Parramatta game, packed out Brookie Oval. Um, I think we spoke a few weeks ago about the difference of suburban grounds to, you know, our bigger stadiums. And that's just an example of when a suburban ground can be great.
1: Yeah, and it's a little bit different than my experience at the suburban ground on the weekend. I was probably the only person on the hill at Leichhardt Oval on, on Sunday afternoon. There was a couple out there. Um, laying in the sun watching you run around on Leichhardt Oval. But um, it was a game that we would have liked to be in out actually, Brookvale was speaking about, depending on how our appointments had, had fallen over the weekend. If if we were free, we were going to go out and, and sit on the hill at Brookie and watch that game. But um didn't turn out that way as you were running around at Leichhardt. But we got home in time um, to watch it. And I remember seeing the aerial footage of Brookvale Oval and as as it was starting, at, you know, the lights were on and the, and the sun was setting. And, yeah, amazing, amazing to, to see those scenes, you know, packed Brookvale house, Manly, Parramatta, so, you know, it's a bit of a rivalry. It just feels like football, doesn't it? It's rugby league at this time of year as well. Um, The only only thing we didn't have was pouring rain and mud. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Um, So, in that game, uh, one of our uh, awards for this week with our GPS data went to the assist referee in that Manly and Parramatta game. Our gazelle of the week this week, uh, once again, was Ziggy. Um, He hit just under 30 kilometres an hour as the assist referee in that game. he, he can move, but we had a bit of a joke through the through the week. Adam, uh, Adam G, who's generally
1: not a funny man, um, has come up with you know who we think he's found uh, Ziggy's doppelganger, and anyone who loves the movie uh, Home, Alone. Home Alone, if you notice the scene in the pool in the bath where you know young Macaulay Culkin's um, using a, a blow up clown. Behind a shower screen to sort of make it look like someone's at home. Um, sort
0: of dancing behind, dancing the behind.
1: If you get footage of or have a look at that footage, um, Adam reckons that's identical to, to Ziggy's running style. So it is. We've had, we've had a bit of a laugh at Ziggy's expense this week, which happens quite regularly. Um, and but this time it comes from Adam G, who generally isn't the funny guy in the, in the room.
0: Well, watching the game, you and I were saying he looks like he runs like you're on a, an elliptical machine, yeah. like moving the arms back and forth. Serves
1: its purpose though, because it gets over the ground pretty quickly. So we can we can laugh about it all we want, but we you know we would love to have that speed at at our you know at at our fingertips.
0: Absolutely. Um, The urgency award this week went to Liam Kennedy. I think this is the second time that he's won this award. He'd be filthy because he hit the high-accel D-cell speeds 99 times. Just couldn't crack the the triple figures as the touch judge in the Roosters and Newcastle games on the touchline for your game.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and, you know, a little bit in that game, it was, uh, you see the scoreline, it's a blowout at the, at the end of the game where Roosters put on a couple of late tries. But up until about 55 minutes, there's only two points in that game. Mm. And, you know, it, it looked like it was going to go down to the wire. Um, and this, we we speak about it a bit, but this just shows that if you switch off or you are down for a fraction of a second or a fraction of a percentage, that the quality of opposition in the NRL will really put you to the sword, and and it was just one or two lapses, you know, throughout this game, and, you know, a bit of luck, and, and Roosters put on, you know, tries in succession pretty quickly, yeah, which, like made the, six which made the scoreline blow out. But the game was competitive for 55, 60 minutes. Uh, um, it was, it's a bit flattering to the Roosters at the score because it was a quality game of rugby league for even all the way throughout. Like Newcastle didn't give up even when, when Roosters were played some on. good
0: football as well. Like they, sitting they, in they the did. crowd, it was fairly entertaining to, to watch. Um, in
1: particular, there's two really, really classy. Um, the Victor Radley tries. try
0: was the one I was saying to you. Like that was just one of those exciting ones where um, you know a lot was happening close to the touchline. Um, Morris went to flick the ball back on the inside, but realised that the person that he would have. Um, passed it to would have ended up being in front of him, so he did really well to sort of hold on to it and then you know offloaded it to someone else.
1: Same um, as their first try, the Roosters' first try, the uh, Tedesco. Uh, James Tedesco yeah. try, where you know there's probably eight or nine passes and some really good passes, and you know there was one where the winger overran the player, but. Luckily, uh, I forget who it was, who passed the ball outside. I think it was to the trail, actually, and had to reach back and catch the ball where quite as if that pass can be thrown forward because the player's in front of you. So, um, yeah, some, some quality football played in amongst it and, and, and tough footy as well.
0: Um, our marathoner award this week, for the third time in, I think, four weeks, has gone to Matty Noyan. Um, He clocked up 11.6 kilometres as the assist referee in the Cowboys and Rabbitohs game, which was um, a very close um, scoreline, again, until the end. It ended up being two two converted tries in it. Um, But, yeah, up until... yeah, it was They, they were saying that ago, this was, game was in
1: the balance and the bounce of the ball could have had you know the Cowboys win by two tries. Yeah.
0: So again, really impressive um for Maddie to be clocking up those sorts of stats. And um with that, when our when uh Lockie Dodd, our our GPS stats guy, sent me through um this information for this week, I responded back saying, geez, you know, Maddie's clocked it up again. He's been hitting a lot of high K's. And um then I asked Lockie what um just about some sort of season averages or um, you know, over the last, I guess, two seasons, what would be a typical distance that people have been running. And he said that in previous season, our averages were always around the 10 to 11 kilometre mark. And um, people who are regular listen- listeners to our show would um, know that we've regularly sort of seen more of the 11 and 12 kilometre mark being, being hit um, for the assist referee and then nine to 10 kilometres in previous seasons for head referees. And this year it's it's gone up more to the 10 to 11. Um, and he sort of said that a lot of the games this year have been in that range, but over the season and particularly in the last month, um, they've seen that the totals are progressively increasing um, where, yeah, more assist referees are going in the high 11s and low 12-kilometre t- low range. And, you know, same for the head refs. And um, they sort of figure that a lot of factors contribute to that. Ball in play has sort of been a big one. Scoreline's been a big one. Um, but we're also being, um challenged at a lot of times yeah, our um, movement, you know, from um, our coaches.
1: Especially in the assist role, our movement to get, you know, in line for uh, on shift plays for obstructions and stuff where the ball's caught and that. So we're trying to make more decisions live than having to send them up or having a better starting point when we do send decisions up because of our positioning, which means we've got to move quicker across the field to be in positions for that. Where we've also then got to make sure you know that we we get to that ruck post for that. So mm-hmm. you, you it, it, without getting too technically Technical into it, we're, you know, we're not running straight lines towards where the ball's going. We're actually running away from it, yeah. so it's putting and then, putting, back, and then back into it. So we, you know, we're we're running, you know, extra extra meters per run. So yeah. that that may have a bit to do with quality of footy as well. Um, we've had you know um, really good weather, yeah. so faster tracks. Yeah, you know what I mean. So we're completion not getting, rates you know, come into that. Games aren't getting bogged down in the middle and. You know, a lot there's a lot of um point you know, we've had a lot of tries scored. So, you know, twenty six, twenty two and you know, instead of low scoring games, which you know adds to, to yeah, more adds running. To so titles, there'd be yeah. you know a lot of factors to it.
0: Well Lockie also said that in the last eight rounds there's only been so eight rounds and I know some of them were the were the short rounds, but generally, you know, eight games a weekend, there's only been four assist refs who have gone under ten kilometres. So only four times in eight rounds has someone run less than that 10-kilometre mark.
1: Well, probably um, me every time.
0: No, no <laughs> definitely not you. Um, whereas previous years, yeah, you know, they sort, of, se- sort of see a problem. lot more of that. Um, and due to that, because we're getting a lot more distance in our games, um, they've had to adjust our, our um, performance stuff, have had to adjust our training loads to make sure that the higher range is, is achievable. Um, and then also for the people who are on the lower range um, – they do top-ups during top ups, during true. the week. Um, so it all... So
1: keep the high range up so you don't do the top-ups and the extras through the week, huh?
0: Oh, yeah. Games are always easier than training. I'd
1: much rather run 12Ks in a game than 12Ks around a track.
0: So one of those games that did have a high completion rate and on a dry chat, uh, track, as we spoke about with the GPS data, was the Brisbane and um, Canberra game, uh, 28-6, on Thursday night. Pretty and...
1: good game of footy, that one. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's a cracker. Um, always a pretty good fast track up there. And um, we're lucky enough to have Belinda Sharp on the line to join us today, um, who made her debut on the weekend as an assist referee, so first female to referee an NRL game. Hello, Belinda.
1: I, wait, just Hello. quickly. Just quickly. Oh, sorry, Belinda. Oh, he butts oh, yeah, in straight I, away. I love butting in. I can't remember that far back to my debut, so it shows how old I am. My debut was in Brisbane as well, but... Um I think it was um unlimited tackles and you know there was no ten meters when I debuted, so it, it it's exciting times.
0: Yeah, hey Belle, thanks for joining us. We know how uh, how busy you've been the last week, so we really we really do appreciate it. No um, problem. Um so talk talk us through the week.
2: Yeah, as you mentioned it was definitely a pretty busy week. Um a week that I haven't certainly experienced before, anything like that. So um I guess pretty much from finding out my appointment on uh, Monday. It was just um, a pretty full-on week in terms of, I guess, the interest around uh, my appointment and obviously the, the media commitments and everything that went with that. Um, so it probably wasn't until uh, sort of Wednesday, Thursday that I actually could sort of focus, put put that aside and focus on the game.
0: Yeah. Um, were you allowed, s- side question, um... Were you allowed to knock back any interviews or any media things or did you have to sort of say yes to to everything that came along?
2: Uh, That was all sort of managed for me, thankfully enough. So I just sort of had a list of um, people that wanted to speak to me and um, just sort of showed it into each day. Oh, great, great.
0: It would have been even harder given that you were on the Thursday night game. So like you say, like the news only breaks, you know, Monday sort of evening um, and you got a pr- pretty quick turnaround to first game game of the weekend. So um, I'm sure it was pretty full on for you to then get into your preparations. Yeah.
1: And, and yeah, sorry, of, that- so, sorry off the back of that. So it, it is a pretty full on week and it's a pretty special week. So with all that sort of attention and focus on, on the occasion, did you sort of get a chance to at some stage before Thursday? Cause like you said, it had come come about pretty quickly to sort of just sit back and go, you know, take that deep breath and sort of enjoy it and, and just reflect and, be, you know, and, and sort of, yeah, just enjoy enjoy the, the moment and, and the week.
2: Yeah, I think um, probably training on Wednesday, uh, it brought a bit more, I suppose, normality back into it for me. And um, that was a chance to just um, get together with the, the rest of my officiating team, obviously, but also some, some of the other referees and just, um, you yeah, know, I suppose, talk about it how I was looking forward to the game on Thursday night. And, uh, yeah, this gave me a sense of, as I said, normality and and brought a bit of, um, you know, what our regular week would look like back into Wednesday.
0: So did did anything change in the prep for the game compared to what, um, like in terms of, I know obviously your media commitments and that would have, but in terms of what you did with your team, um, compared to what every other officiating team would go through week in week out which you would have been a part of you know 99 times on the touchline
2: no um and i made a point of that um to ben cummins right from the start um we sort of had a chat initially on tuesday uh and i just said to him that uh, it was really important to me to although i understood the hype that was going to be around it from our perspective as a team i really wanted everything to be the same and he was really strong on that as well so um, I guess from our perspective, we tried to keep it as normal as possible and make sure that everybody was, um, you know, pr- as prepared as they normally are and as comfortable as they would normally be heading into to any other game, any other week.
1: And a big part of that is leading in and a big part of officiating at the highest level is the pressures that come with it. So without all the external noise and pressure that you had for, for this, you know, which was a, a pretty big occasion... Um, just to go out there and, you know, make your debut, how did you deal with the pressures around so much focus put on towards you being who you are compared to, so the week before Todd Smith has his debut, and Todd's able to just go and just be normal and be Todd Smith for the week and do what he does normally where your whole world sort of was thrown upside down for two days um, and then going out to what is, you know, career-wise, the biggest moment in your career. So did you do anything differently or do you have any processes around how you deal with the pressures
2: that that brings. Yeah, I guess it is hard to, um, uh, I suppose, as much as you try and normalise it, it's very difficult to do that because obviously um, it's not a normal thing to be talking to the media and and doing all those things before a game. So as much as you try and block that out, it it, it is quite difficult. So um, I think the thing that helped was, obviously, as you mentioned, Todd making his debut the week before. And because he performed so well the week before, I think that in itself took a little bit of pressure off because obviously, um, you know, that that sort of helped in terms of my appointment as well, I believe. so. Um, and, and the best thing for me was Todd was actually one of the touch judges in our game on Thursday night. And, you know, I, I had um, a number of conversations with Todd during the week about how he felt leading into his game and, and the things that he noticed during the game and, and how he felt and I was able to draw on his experience and... Um, you know, some some tips and advice from him, which was fantastic. And so for him to have his debut the week before and then be involved in my debut the next week I thought was really was really great and certainly helpful for me.
1: Yeah, he's a good kid, isn't he, Todd?
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, he's great. Um Franny, you sort of touched on just touching on that thing of the the pressure. Um it's something that I've said before and I was um I was contacted by Margie McDonald, one of the journos. Um after your game, and she wrote, did, a, did a write-up in one of the papers. Um, she interviewed you as, as well. And I said from day one when you and I first came into this squad that I knew that my ability to be successful in what I was doing was heavily reliant on you being successful, and I would assume sort of vice versa, in that unfairly um, you and I were there representing all women, So if one of us failed, it wasn't... If if, if I was no good, it wouldn't have been a reflection on me. It would have been a reflection on females aren't good enough. So if Todd Todd Smith went out and refereed uh, the week before in his debut and didn't go well, it wouldn't be male referees aren't good enough. It would be Todd Smith wasn't up to it. But if Belinda goes out and referees and was no good, then it would be females aren't up to it. So... From day one, like in 2000, the end of 2013, I knew that I, I needed you to be successful and I needed to perform well in order for you to be successful. And I've, that's quite an unfair thing that none of the other referees, none of the other males have had to go through.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I've ever thought about it the same way, <laughs> um, to be perfectly honest. I think um, I guess with the three of us coming into the full-time squad at the same time... Um, I think that helped in a sense because, yeah, I guess because there were three of us coming in together. So uh, I guess, like I said before, I think with Todd making his debut um, the week before, um, I guess that was an indicator for the three of us who were new into the squad, um, I guess, how that was going to go. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, it was more, I guess, being able to draw on his experience and, um, I guess, being being really pleased for him that that his game did go so well, and I guess that um, gave me some level of comfort thinking that because we I, su- I suppose we're at the same level at the same yeah. time um, in in being introduced to the full time squad that um, you know that gave me some level of comfort that maybe um, you know it was possible for for yourself or, or me to to do the same yeah. thing.
0: Yeah, just that confidence that you knew you were you were right to go if. if he can do it, then, then we can do it sort of thing.
2: Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so what do you think it is about about you over the, over the years that, um, that got you to the NRL? Like, Why did you get to the NRL?
2: Um, well, I guess first and foremost, it's obviously a passion and enjoyment about what you do. You know, I love what I do. Um, I love that I've been able to turn that into a full-time career. Absolutely, that was my... Um, Goal to be able to do that, and for me to be able to be a referee on a full-time basis is, um, you know, a dream come true for me. I guess so. um, I know know that it was always going to take. I knew that it was always going to take a lot of hard work, um, and I was always adamant that I didn't want um, any shortcuts, and I didn't want any. um, I didn't want a different pathway to anybody else, and and I made sure that that wasn't the case. Um, and a little bit of that is my own initiative as well. So, you know, we have our training set week to week, but I make sure that, um, you know, if if there's something extra that I can do or, or in terms of recovery, if there's more that I can do to make sure that I'm the best prepared or the best, uh, in the best state that I can be, then I'll do that. So, um, I guess just knowing that I had done everything, um, I could to this point to put myself in a position, I guess, to, um, to do to make my debut last week I think was, was really important for me knowing that I had done everything that I could
1: that that's a big part of what we do as well so no one knows you know when you go out there to referee at that level if if you are good enough or are prepared uh, yeah are, are ready but all you can do is know that you're prepared and you've done all all the work and that's something that I know and 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 that's and I think that's your thing is that you know, you go above and beyond to, to be ready when for whenever your opportunity came, that when it did come, you you know, you were gonna hit the ground running, which is exactly what the case was. So off the back of that, um, and yeah, you can sound as conceited or, or whatever you want here, but at some stage you would have thought during your career, whether it'd been, you know, halfway through the game last Thursday night, or whether it would have been five years ago, where you sort of just sat there and went, you know what? I'm an NRO referee. Yeah. You know, was there any breakthrough moment or was there a stage in your career leading up where you thought, I'm good I know I can do this, I'm capable
2: uh, Well yeah I guess it's probably um, a little bit of what I mentioned before Just, I, I don't know if you ever necessarily think you're ready or, or think um, you're there uh, certainly I don't know if I've ever felt that way but I've always just made sure that I've tried to put myself in the best position possible and I think Part of that is, um, you know, the experiences that you have. So, as you mentioned before, I, prior to my game last week, I'd done 99 games on the touchline um, over a number of years. So, those experiences, I think, are, are so important in developing you as a as an on-field referee as well, um, getting that taste of what the NRL is like, understanding the speed, understanding the play, uh, understanding the players and the teams. Like, that's been... Um, so important to get me to this point. But also um, as a referee as well in the Intra Super Cup in Queensland, you know, we have a f- fantastic um, pathway... Yeah, it's a great breeding um, ground, um, isn't competition it? competition in Queensland, and I think that was so important in um, getting me to the point I'm at now. So well, I just think it's a combination of all those things. It's a combination of um, being the best prepared you can be in terms of training, um, but also... On-field experiences as well contribute to, to how you feel and, and how uh, I guess ready you feel. Mm.
0: So I guess something that like a lot of referees say is that um, you just need experience um, at, at any level. Nothing beats experience and going mm. through um, you know certain certain situations within games and certain moments um, you know to, to then learn from and, and, and grow from. Um, as a referee
1: so you guys are much more humble than me i reckon i would have been 25 refereeing a grade into the park when i thought i was ready for for, for the nrl and i would have told anyone who asked me as well
0: yeah well <laughs> m- men seem to have a inflated
1: um <laughs> no, I, yeah. sense of
0: what they're able to do
1: probably just me and my own ambitions <laughs> and capabilities on
0: a, on a side note as you're a tennis fan um belinda did you see that thing during the week that uh one in eight men thought that they could beat serena williams in a uh, in one point in, one point point in tennis I did see that, yeah. <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> oh, yeah, that goes Absolutely to, ridiculous. That ties into Gavin's little, little thought there. Um, so <laughs> I,
1: I never, ever thought I'd be able to win a point <laughs> off, off Serena.
0: Off that, I wouldn't
1: oh. be able to win a point off any... I'm a terrible tennis player.
0: <laughs> um, so b- back on to that point about um, about experiences. Um, so what did you learn from your first game? What what from your first game is going to make you a better referee going into this weekend for your or, second game? Or something
1: that surprised you, like something that you walk away going, wow, I didn't know... That would happen. I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know, you know.
2: Yeah, I mean, just good, something, bad, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think um, again, experience is everything. So getting that first game away, um, there's so many things I learned within the game, and there's adjustments that I made along the way within the game, um, and there's certainly things that have that I've learned from it that I'll obviously try and put into the next game and and onwards. So. Um, I think initially and everybody says it, but certainly the speed of the game is, um, it's one thing to talk about it, but then to experience it in the middle. Um, it's certainly different from experiencing it from the sideline. Um, just the rate at which the ball moves, um, the speed at which the ball moves, I think can take you by surprise initially, I think. And that's an adjustment. I think you need to make in game, um, to, to be moving at the same, you know, at the same pace and, and be ready for that. Um, But yeah, I just think, I think I was lucky in a sense that for the first, I think it was about 10, 12 minutes of the game, it was constant. There was no break. There was no stop. And I think that was a really, um, it was a good thing in hindsight because it got me into the game so quickly and for for a constant block of time, um, which is, I guess, probably uh, can be unusual in some games. So I think that gave me a really good starting point as to how the game was going to, going to flow and the speed of the game and um yeah there's certainly a lot of things that i've learned from it that you know i can um take out and put into the second game for sure
1: i don't want to take up too much of your time but we could you know we could be only for hours talking and and, and, and hearing your stories and stuff but i want to finish with two questions the first one is how many days did it take to get the smile off your face once you got off the field Um, And the second one is, and and as referees, we don't like to set goals around what game I want to do and stuff because we can't control that and we're more about controlling our controllables. But for you, you know, refereeing at the highest level would have been a massive goal. So now that you've ticked that one off, sort of going forward, what's sort of your next challenge, your next goal?
2: Yeah. Oh, definitely. um, I've been, I feel like I've been riding pretty high for a couple of days (laughs) now um, after the game. and. Yeah, it was just the, the, and I think the messages of support from everyone, both, um, you know, other referees, but also family and friends and people externally, have certainly contributed to that as well. You know, everybody's been fantastic in their support both before and after the game. And, um, you yeah, know, it was just an amazing experience and certainly one uh, I won't forget. Um, I think in terms of setting goals, as you said, it's it's hard to set goals around games and, um, you know what happens from here but I think first and foremost I'm just really excited and looking forward to my second game to be honest I think that's that's as far ahead as I want to look right now and um, just learning from the first game and uh, yeah, just excited to get out there for the second game and, and do it all over again.
0: I bet. Uh, bet your face is nice and sore from the smiles, always, mate. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Definitely. Uh,
0: so, th- thanks again for for joining us today. Like we said, I know it's been you've been smashed over the last few days of the last week, um, but we really do, do appreciate it, and um, I'm sure our listeners, um, you know, appreciate hearing from you as well. And um, we'll catch up with you tomorrow at training, mate. No worries. Thanks, guys.
1: Thanks so much. Enjoy your rest of your day. Off. See
0: you, Belle. Thanks. See ya. All right so it's great to have Belinda Belinda there and um as always she's um she's quite well spoken and um you know makes a lot of sense in what she says.
1: Uh she does and and you know the whole week you know obviously she, there was a lot of media attention and Belinda's not someone you know who craves that stuff so you know it would have been it's sort of out of the comfort zone a bit so you know, for her to come and give up her time today, which is a day off. And like we said, she's been pretty smashed over the last week. It, um, we really appreciate and hope that, you know, it gives a little insight into what she went through and her week was last week. Yeah.
0: Um, so we'll move into some of the things that came out of um, round 18. And the main discussion that we sort of wanted to have was on shoulder charges, because that seemed to create quite a lot of talk over the weekend. Um, and I was actually the standby official um, at Penrith on Friday evening for the game where Matt Dufty came across um, as the fullback and puts a hit on uh, Brian Toll. I can't remember who it was Yeah, I can't remember Um, who it was. In in trying to stop a try and successfully stopping a try. Um, And it created a debate around, well... Is that a shoulder charge? And number one. Well, it, it, it is because we had technically a, it's a shoulder yeah, charge because we had a we had a penalty for it, but it was more what should the ramifications of that be? And talk around should that have been a penalty try or should he have been sim And I totally understand why people would have those questions because we brought this we had when the shoulder charge was first outlawed in our game. This was one of the things that we had to sort of discuss and go, well, what happens if it's in a tri-scoring situation? And the way um, the way it's gone, which, I mean, these rules aren't... We, we say often as referees, we don't make the rules, we just implement them. Um,
1: we, we implement them with interpretation around a lot of them as well. Yeah, but you know a lot I
0: mean? of the, that interpret. But we're yeah, also yeah. directed to dire- do certain, certain things, thing, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yes, we, we have and parameters one, that we have to stick by. Yes, and one of the things in this area was that a shoulder charge leading into that try would not be a penalty try; it would be no. penalised only
1: because it's it's more a desperate act than a um, how to word this with you know was that getting too thick, It's more a player just making a reaction as opposed to when we look at you know professional fouls and stuff like that, where they make it deliberate. I, well, and, I, I, and I know it's deliberate, and people I, are going to jump up and down about this one, but yeah, it's it, it's more a reactive to try and stop a try. Well, so
0: I think the difference in it is more that the reason we. St- Stop. Well, the primary reason we stopped the shoulder charge was for 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 injury, particularly yeah. head um, head injuries. Um, it it was the ones where you're running in this direction, yes. I'm running in the opposite so direction. So momentum changes. And we, yes, and we collide. The difference in the ones where players are going for tries and it's generally those ones near the corner post is that the players aren't running completely opposite directions because you have a fullback or a player. They're nearly in the same direction. So the force is a lot less. So the risk for injury is less. It's a pretty good way to
1: look at it. Sorry to jump in because what you're doing is you're not changing momentum here. You're just veering someone's
0: direction. Yes. It's almost like as if I came and I pushed you out. Yes. The, momentum. It's the same
1: impact as a push, yes. isn't it? You're just using your whole body because you're trying to move a big body as well. Yeah, yeah, and that's, so that's, that's, that's a pretty good way to look at it. And that's
0: sort of why it was um, decided that it would be a penalty, not a penalty try. Well,
1: that's, that's how, in, that, and that came down to yes, an interpretation between us and, and the comps committee, the and the competition
0: stuff like that. committee. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so. We do have, um, I guess, an addition to that in that it doesn't mean it will never be a penalty try, and it doesn't mean a player won't be simbined or sent off because it depends on the severity of that. And if the contact. I, if I contact, if I shoulder charge the player in the head, head or neck. Different story. Different story. We're
1: looking at different charges. If I and stuff shoulder as well. charge
0: him and he has a massive whiplash, smashes his head on the ground because the direction that I was cu- that I was running Sh- compared Sorry, to it was a
1: front-on one. The yeah. Feedback coming compared front-on. to
0: where where the winger or the centre, whichever player the ball carrier was running, and it causes that level of impact impact and that level of damage, then there is still scope for us to take that further action. So I guess that's something I sort of wanted to clarify on here, that it doesn't mean we will never see it. It's just that in the situation on the weekend, the Matt Dufty one, which we saw with the Billy Slater one, and we saw other ones this year as well. Wanga Blake had one. Um, So we've we've seen a, a number of them that were really similar over the last... Uh, last season and and this season, um, they're the ones that will just be penalised.
1: And and all these big decisions that we make around stuff like this is all about player safety. So you're looking at damage and injury, and it's like any other decision we make around foul play. You know, not every high tackle we penalise is going to end up with a player being sin binned exactly. or sent off. Not every dangerous throw we see is you know they're going to be taken on their merits. You know what I mean? So we've got split seconds to make these decisions on field, and then obviously post game, then they can deal with it however they want to deal with it. But on field, we have some parameters, and like we say, interpretations as to which ones are which and how we do it. And that's and, and that because it's conge- you know conjecture and, and subjective, there's always going to be debate around them. Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as the debate's healthy, that's good. Yeah. And you know, down the track, we might go well. You know what? They're all going to be this. Or... Yeah, well, that's but the thing. We at want the, debate. We at, want... At,
0: at the end of the year, the competitions committee might meet and go. You know what? We don't want that we, we think that there is too high of yeah. a risk for injury. So we want that to be a penalty trial. We want that to be simbined or whatever it might be. And then we change. But at the moment, this is And a lot of is. that
1: can come from public perception out there, you know, from, from the public voice in their opinion. And then, you know, people sit inside and
0: sit... In a constructive manner. Yeah,
1: of course. <laughs> of course. But then people can sit down and go, you know what, this is what the game sort of needs, yeah. you know. And it doesn't mean yeah. because there's public outcry things are going to get changed. But it, it just means that, yeah. you know, Everyone has an opinion and we're, we're, we're happy for them as long as they're put out there in the right way.
0: Yeah, and, and and I guess just to go back to that type of shoulder charge, that Matt Dufty one compared to, so there was a bit of blow up and outrage over that. We had a Simbin, it was Andrew Fafida. That's the difference where the Fafida one was that front on heavy collision, more risk for injury to the other player. That's where you, we saw a Simbin. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, and that's the, that's the difference in it.
1: It, it. It's life. Anything that comes into a judicial system, whether it be law, whether it be you know anything, Sport, there's yeah. going to be con- there's going to be different sentences for each individual case. Yeah. So we can't expect everything to be put in a box and say, well, that's a shoulder charge, so you're going to get sent off and you're going to get six yeah. weeks. It's in, just it's just what it is. In
0: saying that, I understand um, people's um, uh, questioning why it's not a penalty trial because to the letter yes. of the penalty trial I law. I, un- I totally understand, yeah, which it, is one of the questions. In, it fits in the realm. Absolutely. It fits in that category, um, which was questions that as referees, we asked, um, you know, a number same of Same discussions uh, we've had. Exact same discussions that we had. So I totally understand that. And then that was a challenge for the referees on field that night to try and explain to Penrith, to James Maloney, yeah. why that's not a penalty try when then they have someone binned later in the game for a late tackle, um, you know, and then that question comes up, up again. So I could totally understand those frustrations or those questions, but... Yeah, there there are reasons why um, the the rules are set the way they are. Um, so another one that had some questions asked on the weekend actually came out of your game, um, the Roosters and Newcastle. It was the Nat Butcher try. So yeah, you the want to try at the back end of one? the game.
1: So we had a short kickoff and um, Nat Butcher goes up to get the ball. And you break down the law. And this is 100% technically a correct decision. So Nat Butcher knocks the ball backwards into his own knee. Then the ball hits the ground, that butcher picks it up and, and plays on.
0: So when it hits his knee, it then bounces forward. Bounces forward. forward.
1: So look it, so it's you know, we talk it, it, we've spoken on this podcast before around if it looks like a pig hmm. and it smells like a pig and it oinks like a pig, it's generally going to be a pig. This one ticked a few of those boxes. <laughs> End of the day, it was a horse <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't a pig. Because um, when the ball's knocked backwards um, and, and it hits your body, it, it's still being propelled backwards from your hand because it's only a knock on from when it comes off your hands. So Newcastle players stop. Nat Butcher runs through, shows a bit of speed, actually, and um, scores a try. We check it. Goes and what, to and what were you
0: thinking at the time? Because you, oh, you weren't the I'm, control ref I'm at I'm the time. I'm 30 metres away, and yeah. I'm the
1: same as probably what most people thought out there. I thought, thought you had a pick on the field? I thought, oh, this doesn't look good. And, you know, I was sort of thinking, oh, but I... I but you didn't have vision I'm, on it. I, I'm, yep. I'm in no position to make a decision on it. Whereas from,
0: Ashley Klein, who was the control ref at the time, was in a really position. good position.
1: Probably the best position he could be in. Yep. Um, and makes a, real, a, a really good call, um, which is then... You know, fortunate for us that they score so we have the ability to then go back and check it and then get it, you know, looked at and, and, and the correct decision made. And um, in this case, it was a correct decision and, and the try was given. Um, the the issues I have around this is that people who even agree that it's right then want to jump up and down because we don't do this all the time. Can't win. And say any time the ball hits the ground, it's a knock on. Um which,
0: so we spoke about this in a couple of weeks yeah. back. One of the listener questions we had was, um, you know, why does every ball that hits the ground, why is it, why is it ruled as a knock-on?
1: If, if we, same, and I, I, you know, probably sounded like a broken record. If we got these wrong as many times as people think we did, um, we'd have a whole, whole new squad of first grade referees. Mm. Um, we, we bat pretty high on these. Yeah. We, we generally do that when, when it comes to knock-ons, and people say, "Oh, well, it's hit the ground." But when you when we sit um, sit in our office on Monday and break them all down and, and, and step through video and. It, we, we, we well, bat really high on the For the
0: amount of times that a ball is touched and hits the ground in every game of rugby league throughout each round, we do bat really high.
1: Yeah, we do. And, and that may sound like us just pushing our own barrow in here. and you know, But, yeah, I, I, I'm quite willing to, to have this debate with it, and, and, and I've got footage and stuff to back up the fact that we do. Um, when it comes to knock-ons, we're pretty good. We, we miss the ones that are, um, the ones that we do get wrong aren't the ones that hit the ground. The ones that we do, and actually in our game, in the Roosters game on the weekend, there's one that we miss that no one even knows. It's not, No one would even know that we get it wrong. But when we break it down and we look at our game, there's a little bobble between um, a player and the defender and the ball touches him really quickly. Very hard to pick up. But when we break it down our game, that's an error that we made in the game. No one's talking about that one. Yeah. Where one that we get right, everyone's talking yeah. about. So it shows how technical it can be. And like I said, when, when we do get big calls right, well, not a big call in the context of the game, but it's a pretty, you know, a, a, a ballsy call from from Ash to make that live. Um, we should be applauded, not sort of, oh, well, what about this one? What about this one? Mm.
0: Um, Just to give a quick wrap to one of our officials, Liam Nicholls, on the touchline last week um, in the Manly and Parramatta game. Um, Because last week's podcast, we spoke about the... the, 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 Oh, the Tim Roby one. The Tim Roby one, where the ball was passed back on the inside, Blake Ferguson's foot was on the line, and we broke down how difficult those decisions are to get. Just want to give a bit of a wrap to Liam because there was a a similar incident this week. Um, I guess the difference when we look at the behind shot is just um, where the defender was wasn't blocking. Still a very good call um, from from Liam, but that's the difference between being able to get it right and getting it wrong because the defender happened to not be blocking where the ball was compared to where Liam was standing and the ball carrier was. So great decision made by Liam, which ultimately takes a try off Manly. And um, yeah, 100% correct.
1: There's a lot... Actually, over the weekend, watching a bit of footy this weekend, there was a couple of really good touch judge calls. and I remember one... From uh, Canberra, was that Friday night? Uh, Darren Ferner, one of our debutants on the line, makes a a call for oh, a try yeah. in the corner, and so I know, know I know, yeah. you know when when it came back up on the big screen, people were sort of you know hearts in thro, uh, hearts in mouth sort of thing, thinking, oh, well that's closer than we thought it was, but um, end of the day, it's, it's right. So yeah.
0: well, when it happens, you said, oh, they didn't check that. And I hadn't seen who was on which touchline yet. Like, I knew that was Darian's game. Yeah. But I didn't know which side of the field he was on. I said, I bet you that's Darian's side. And when the camera panned away, it was. Yeah. As we say, that's what, especially when you debut on the touchline because you're so used to not having the video ref there. You've got and you to just, make a decision. You've got to make that decision. You just instinctively um, make it. And it's great, you know, 100% right and had the confidence to make it. Um, we'll just answer one listener question this week. Um, someone wrote in and asked, have scrums become redundant? gavin
1: <laughs> you gonna throw that one to <laughs> me throw it straight to you um uh yeah in, in a ways in a ways they have um like it's not comp- you know, I, I, as, like i say, i bring up my age a fair bit but as a young kid playing the game scrums are competitive so you're a 50 50 chance of getting the ball and if you had a good hooker you're probably more than that you know what I because mean? you you, know, you were allowed to uh, be competitive in there and team that had to feed the opposite side had to lose head so you had first look at the ball even though they were feeding and you know, there were some really good hookers around who could really um, win a lot of the footy. So it made sense to have scrums then. Um, now what it does is for me, if I was a coach, it gives me opportunity to play uh, with shortened defensive lines and un- not though it's unstructured because we've still got a straight defensive line, but you've got a fair bit of distance between the, the two sides. Well, the
0: spa- it's, it's the spacings that are changed. The defensive uh, uh, spacings yes, have
1: changed. Yes, because you, you've got six players. Yeah. Out of the defensive and, line and, in the and scrum, and the so you've got bar. open field, yeah. and technically it's meant to be all the backs, are all your quicker mm-hmm. players. So if played right, and, and over the years, we we'll see we see some we, plays. We've from seen some really yeah. good tries off the back of scrums, or you, you, if you don't score, you put yourself in a really good mm-hmm. p- attacking position for the next play because you get teams on back foots and that because you've you know earned that right and, and yeah. gotten through the line. So there there is a place for them if um, you know teams want to sort of take advantage of them. Yeah. So I, I, it's also you know, it's part of the game as well. Yeah. We look at, you know, we're to keep some of the traditions of rugby league and making it, you know, what the sport is. So yeah. I'd hate to so, see the scrums go yeah. out of our game.
0: So I understand why people, um, you know, a lot of people say, oh, we should just replace them with a play the ball because they're redundant and all the rest of it. Um, I'm similar to you in that. I don't think that they're re- redundant because scrums can still be competitive if players want to. Just no one does it anymore. Yeah, the rules so are still there The rules are to push rules in are still there. I can push in the scrum. scrum once the When the ball yep. is fed and I can strike for the ball at the right time. And if they do that all right, then you know the go, only, then go for it. You only, love butting so, yeah, in this no, episode. But,
1: yeah, no, I'm all over it. The only rule that's really changing the scrum is that the ball doesn't have to be put in the middle of the scrum. Mm. It just has to be put in the tunnel. Now, that's the only difference from when it was competitive. Mm. So when the ball had to go in the middle, mm. both hookers had a fair shot at it. Mm. So now it just has to go in the tunnel. So it's a lot harder for, you know, opposing hooker to strike for the ball and to get a push in. So really, that's the only rule change. So,
0: um, yeah, so I don't think it's redundant there. And similar to you in that, I think it's more what you can play off the scrum that's more important than that that scrum itself. And we talk about, um, you know, a lot of people talking about that the game's become too predictable and too structured and all the rest of it. Well, a scrum is a time where it can be less predictable. If we change to a handover, um, just how to play the ball, well, then we have a normal... Um, you know, first tackle hit-up or two passes to to, to a hit-up or something like that. So um, the the predictability value um, increases with the unpredictability value increases with having scrums in the game. But um, yeah, I understand why those conversations happen. Um, So before we finish today, we just wanted to um, dedicate this episode to someone who's um, worked in our office with the NRL referees for the last seven years and has become a good friend to the entire squad um, in Michelle Minicello, So she's been the full-time physio with the group for seven years.
1: Yeah. And and before that, she was sort of with us part-time as well um, leading in and it's, when i for as long as i've been around when i first came we never ever had a physio so whenever we needed physio even though we were full-time um athletes uh we had to go either see our own physio or you know organize for the nrl to book us an appointment somewhere and then yeah it was seven years ago when uh, Minnie came in full-time and just it it, it, what that does is just breeds professionalism for us as athletes so it gives us the opportunity that yeah, you know, If you've got niggles or you need something worked on, you get it done immediately. Where in the past, if I injured myself or rolled my ankle or did something at training, it may take you know a day or two before I get to see a physio, which is ridiculous because that's a day or two less of my rehab and recovery to get me back on the field. And it's all about getting back on. But Minnie's um, worth to our squad was much more than just a staff member and a physio. You know, she, she she was vibrant and, you know, no matter how you felt, no matter how bad your weekend was or how good your weekend was or how bad your body was or how good your body was, Minnie was always there to make everyone feel good and, and have a laugh, you know what I mean? So um, she brought a vibe. She definitely brought a vibe to the office and... and She's loved by everyone that yeah. come in contact so with her. So she's... Uh, she'll be sorely missed yeah. from our squad. So, she's not dead. She's not, we're talking about <laughs> she's passed on. Heading but, on to um, hopefully, she, bigger, hopefully, hopefully, yeah, hopefully
0: bigger and better she, things and going away on a long two-month two, two month holiday to, to Europe. I'm sure she'll have a great time. And, um, you know, I can't thank her enough for what she's any done. Any sporting
1: clubs out there looking for a good physio? Yeah.
0: <laughs> give her Give her a buzz. Um, yeah, Mitty's spent countless out-of-work hours time. She's on core 24-7 pretty much for our squad. and For, That's
1: someone for you like, in particular? Oh, she was,
0: I've had six surgeries in four years and she's just been a godsend for for me so just want to wish her all the best um, you know with whatever she chooses to do moving forward Um, so Badge what are you up to this weekend? Oh well actually
1: this weekend I'm in Newcastle on Friday night
0: and who's there with you? I've got
1: a... (sighs) Uh, well, actually, most weeks when I get, you know, the appointments, I'm quite happy with my touch judges, but I've got you on my touch line this week. <laughs> yes. It's going to be, uh, I should be looking forward to this.
0: It happens very rarely. So, um yeah, pretty exciting this weekend for us to do, um, you yeah, know, to be able to do what you love with the person you love yeah. is uh is pretty cool. So oh, have, so have a bit of fun. Newcastle and uh, West High. Oh, I wasn't talking about you. I was talking about... um. Henry, the the other referee. Um, So with that, we'd like to encourage everyone to join our Facebook and Instagram pages. Our Facebook page is NRL Officiating and the Instagram handle is at NRL Officiating. So give us a follow to keep up to date with what's happening in the world of rugby league officials across the country from under sixes through to the NRL. And if you're interested in becoming a referee, please visit refrugbyleague.com. Thank you for listening to this week's Refs Roundup. Bye.